Just a reminder, kids, you are dismissed to your classes. If you want to go, if you want to hang out in here and listen to me, you're welcome to do that as well. We are glad that you've chosen uh, to be here at PCC and invest part of your weekend here together. Uh, as a church, our, our mission is to help people discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ. And, and we do that, uh, we seek to do that as we take uh, the example of the life of Jesus as our example for our life. And as such, we uh, prioritize being together. We hear and respond to the word of God, and, and we strive to be a tangible presence of grace in our community and, and in the world. And, and we are glad that you're here today as we get to talk about Jesus and about his love for us and, and all of that uh, that entails. Uh, we continue in our series. It's actually the last Sunday in our series of I Deserve It. Uh, and our goal in this series is, has been to, to look at the different areas in our life where we feel like we deserve something. And I would suggest that as we think about what we deserve, often those thoughts turn into beliefs, and those beliefs turn into actions, and those actions help set the course for our life. And, and just like last week, I really want to invite you and beg with you and plead with you and encourage you to grab your Bible or a blue Bible in front of you, open up the app on your phone or your device, and let's jump into the scriptures together. I want you to just have the, have the word there in your hands so that we can follow along together and be a part of this. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 20 this morning. Uh, part of our uh, vision is that we will be a people who hear and respond to the word of God. And so just having it there in front of you so that we can do that together this morning. In this particular season in life, uh, PCC, our focus is on growth. We're focused on the spiritual growth of each and every individual believer and as a community of believers. And what we're challenging and encouraging everyone to do is to take that next step in their faith. Regardless of where you are, God just is encouraging you to take that next step to walk closer in relationship with him. And that's what we want to encourage you to do. So today, as we look at this series, we're going to jump in and look at, I deserve it, and I deserve what I have earned. And to do that, uh, to kind of kick things off, I have a question for you. And for some of you, this is going to cause you to have to think a lot, uh, lot longer ago than others. But how many of you remember being back in elementary school? Got that? I don't believe you, Chris. I don't think you can believe that. Remember that. For, no, sorry. Got to pick on Chris a little bit. Um, yeah, back in elementary school, tell me if you had this experience, the same experience I had. Uh, when we were preparing to go to lunch or uh, to gym or to music class or even, you know, the, going to the bathroom down the hall, what would the teacher tell you to do? I, I know what she told us to do. Line up, right? Did you guys do that? Do they still do that? I don't even know. I haven't had an elementary kid for a while. So some of the parents are like, yes, I got the thumbs up. Good. Okay, so um, you line up. And I don't know about you, but when the teacher would say line up, you know what I would do? I would want to get to the front of the line, right? I was that kid. I wanted to be the line leader. Anybody else want to identify with me in that? You want to be the line leader? No one? Okay, thank you. Any of you hate people like me? Okay, don't, do, don't say that. No, that's, that's different. I remember uh, one, uh, my, my favorite elementary school teacher was Miss Dorflinger. Yes, that was her name, and yes, we had a lot of fun with it. Miss Dorflinger, um, she, I, I remember one time that she told us to line up. I don't remember where we were going, but line up, and I scrambled. I got to the front of the line, right? And I was, yeah, I'm here. And then she made the back of the line the front of the line. I didn't think that was very fair, Right? I'd done what I was supposed to do, line up, get in the front, because I wanted to be the line leader. Again, I, I was that kid. One of the reasons uh, she did that was probably so we'd learn a lesson. And as she, I, I remember not specifically that instance, but on other instances, that she would give me the look. 
Now, there are a few people in your life that can give you that look, you know, in, in your life. A teacher, your parents, for me, it's, it's my wife. And when I get that look, I know there's something I missed, right? Something I'm supposed to learn, something I was supposed to do, right? And I'm like, oh, no, what, what is that? And looking back, it's easy to see the lesson that she was trying to teach. Now, at the time, it didn't seem very fair, but looking back, what she was trying to say was, you know what, sometimes life is not fair. And what we've learned is that can be a good thing. And today, we look at a parable where Jesus is teaching his disciples and the followers, and, and it's, he's teaching them this parable, and, and it happens in, in place of not long before the triumphal entry, okay? Just to kind of give you a little context, not long before the triumphal entry uh, into Jerusalem, which took place about a week before Jesus' uh, crucifixion and resurrection. And so he, he's teaching the disciples and, and the, his followers, and this parable that we're about to read can lead us to the following conclusion. That's not fair, right? When we read this parable, one of our conclusions could be that that is not fair. And one of the reasons it's not fair is because we live in a world and in a culture and in a society uh, where people believe that we deserve what we have earned. It could be an elementary school student who is trying to be first in line, right? It could be a high school student who's worked very hard to be in the top 10% of their class so that they can be accepted to the top college or university. It's a college student who's aiming for the, the right sorority or fraternity. It's a coworker competing for promotions. It's parents doing everything within their power to give their children an advantage. It's the drivers on Route 1 who believe they deserve to be in front of you, right? That's just the way our world works. We, and in our desire to get what we believe we deserve, we strive for the front seat on a plane, the middle seat in a theater, and the back seat at church, right? Because that's what we believe we deserve. That's the way we live our lives. But in the kingdom of heaven, things are different. And that's part of the lesson we learn from this parable. So let's jump into the text. Again, follow along in your Bible, the blue Bible, uh, the app on your phone, or the scriptures will be behind me on the screen. Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day. Now, time out of the text real quick. A denarius was the, the normal, the average, the expected wage that you would receive as a day laborer, okay? So you worked for the day. That's the pay you could expect to receive. So he agreed to pay them a denarius for their day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon. And about three in the afternoon, and he did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Verse 8, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came, and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. 
When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? And Jesus concludes his parable by saying, so the last will be first and the first will be last. Now, there is a lot to examine and unpack in this parable, more than we can today, but one of the things that we need to realize is while uh, chapter divisions and verses in our scriptures, you know, that we have are often useful because they help us find passages, right? If I told you to find this story in Matthew, you'd be turning for a while, but if I tell you to go to chapter 20, you can find it. But sometimes, because of the, uh, the relatively arbitrary way uh, this has, these uh, divisions have been assigned, it causes us to miss out on the proper context and makes reading the stories more difficult. And that's exactly what we see here in Matthew. Because where the break comes between chapter 19 and 20, and this is if you have your Bible, you can kind of see how that works, um, we often miss and fail to understand this parable in its greater context. If we look back at chapter 19, beginning in verse 27, we see that Peter makes a statement, and then he asks Jesus a question. Peter says, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And what we see here is Peter, who's like uh, maybe many of us still today. We relate to God on the basis of merit. Peter, he was already adding up in his head what he deserved, what he believed he had earned. And this parable is part of Jesus' reply to Peter, but his response actually begins in verse 28 of chapter 19, which says this. Jesus said to them, after Peter's asked this question, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on the glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. You see, in all Jesus does, he is revealing God to the world. He's revealing himself to the world. In teaching his disciples and his followers, including us still today, he's showing us his mission and his purpose. He tells them here, you can expect what to receive, right? And these are some things that you are going to receive. And, and again, that's a whole other message we, we don't have time to talk about today. But he concludes that by saying the familiar words, right? The first will be last and the last will be first, we see Jesus has this mentality often. It's the way the kingdom is, especially if you remember what we talked about last week in Luke chapter 22 where Jesus said, I am among you as one who serves. They want to make him king and he continually says, but I'm among you as one who serves. In this parable, we see Jesus continuing this idea and trying to get them to understand that the last will be first and the first will be last. And he does that when he says, for the kingdom of heaven is like. Now don't miss that, that's significant. He's telling his uh, disciples and the followers there, the kingdom of heaven, this is what we're looking forward to. It's like this. It's like a landowner, and the landowner goes out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Now, the, this landowner, this master, 
he leaves the comfort of his home and he goes out uh, to the people who had no purpose into a meaningful purpose. And it doesn't take much of a stretch, right, to look at that and go, oh, that makes sense, if you will, the parallel that you can draw between the master that Jesus talks about and Jesus himself. Jesus leaves the comfort of heaven and he goes out and he calls the workers. The master is on a mission, Jesus is on a mission. And, and I agree with the majority of the commentary writers on this that say the fact that the people, the workers were called to work in a vineyard picking grapes and not called to do something else somewhere else is significant. Making wine is a long-term laborious, uh, intentionally patient process that leads to a future and promises a future joy and celebration. Much like the gospel message of, of Jesus, there's a planned joy and celebration for all who believe. But there's also this sense of urgency that's displayed by the master and by Jesus. More and more workers are added. More and more uh, things are accomplished. And as, as the workers are added, more and more grapes are harvested. And on the appointed day, everyone will receive their just reward. The laborers are looking for purpose and meaning, and they are completely dependent upon the good and generous master or landowner to come and give them what they need. So there's different groups of people we see. The first group of people that we see are those that were hired early in the morning. Now, maybe you can relate to them because there are people, many people, and it may include you, who cannot remember not knowing not believing, not following Jesus. That would describe me. Uh, that was a decision I made early on in life to, to follow Jesus. I had the privilege of growing up in, in a Christian home uh, where uh, my parents, you know, they just taught me, Jesus loves you. So that's a reality I grew up with, with Jesus loves me. And as I grew, I learned that because of my sin, I was in need of a savior. And Jesus as my Savior, I needed him in my life. And so I confessed to him, I confessed my faith in him, I was obedient in baptism, and, and since that time, it's been a continual ebb and flow of, of reaching out for God's endless love and grace and mercy and forgiveness, and I just strive to continue to serve the Lord. Not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a believer, right? I'm a believer in Jesus, and as believers, that's what we're called to do to follow him and to trust in him and to, to lean on his love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. Jesus presented me with an opportunity and an invitation to serve him, and I agreed to the terms, right? And so it's my decision to serve him all day long, right? Not just today, but all day long, if we can take this parable and, and apply it. And as, as we serve him, as I serve him all day long, I bond with other workers, right? I bond with the other people who are also in the field and in the vineyard working for our master, for our father. We share and we laugh and we, we cry together. Sometimes uh, workers are called to different parts of the vineyards and, and it breaks our hearts. But through all of it, we are encouraged. We are held accountable when the day is long and the conditions are less than ideal and, and things are, aren't going the way that we really want them to go. But in the midst of all of that, we know that we would rather be serving the Lord and following him, doing what he's called us to do, than, than be doing anything else anywhere else. Because that's the love that God has for us. And maybe that's you. Maybe you look back on your life and you don't remember a time where you weren't following and loving and striving to worship the Lord. Maybe you're like the one who was hired first thing in the morning, and you go to the vineyard and you're working. But we also see in this parable, those who joined at nine in the morning, at noon, and at three, 
Uh, those time frames are also referred to as the third, the sixth, and the ninth hour. See, the, the master doesn't just go once and get workers and he's done. He continuously goes out calling people to the vineyard. And when the new workers show up, that has the opportunity to be either a really good thing or it could be problematic. Those who had already been working for three, six, and nine hours, they can either be encouraged by the zeal and the enthusiasm and the energy and the excitement that the new workers bring in. They can be encouraged by the fact that there's more grapes that are going to be harvested and and the bountiful uh, treasure there that, that awaits all of them, or they can grumble. They can make the, the new workers feel left out. They can uh, view those people as not as important because, you know what? You haven't been here as long as we have. You're not as important as we are. Uh, you'll, you'll calm down. You won't be near as enthusiastic. You will not really want to do this like you're doing it now after you've been here for a, uh, some time. You're not going to be near as excited then. Side note. There's a buddy of mine in uh, Texas, and we, we've talked about the fact that we want to write a book. And the book title is as far as we've gotten, right? But it's, I'm on fire, and then in little things for the Lord, right? Quick to the church, they have wet blankets, right? See, because people come in and they're excited about their faith. And what sometimes happens is people are like, yeah, yeah, that's nice, calm down, right? But can I tell you, And can I encourage you? This is one of the things I love about this community of believers. That's not you. I hear time and time again, and I see time and time again, uh, when new people come in, you're welcoming and you're loving and you're accepting and, and you're trying to build community, you're trying to build relationships because we understand the fact that we're all in this together and we're just a bunch of misfit people that are trying to fit together so that we can worship the Lord and trust in his love and grace and mercy and forgiveness, amen? And I just want to tell you, keep it up. Because people need not us. People need not not me and not what I'm saying. They need Jesus. They need his love in their life. And and that's what we have the opportunity to share with people. So, So keep doing that. Do that and share the love of God with people every chance that you have. It matters. It makes a difference. And it matters to those who are joining as we seek to build this kingdom we also see in uh, this parable, those who were added at five o'clock, so this is the, the last group here, these are the 11th hour people. What's interesting is when they are added, nearly all of the hardest work of the day is already done, but there's still work to be done for those who are willing and available to do it. And you see, our life is made up for the purpose of living in relationship with God, And that's true even if you've spent the first 11 hours, if you will, of your life not working in his vineyard. And while it's not how we were created to live and and we miss out on so many blessings and and beautiful relationships and things that may go unrealized, but when people either miss out or ignore or reject those previous calls to work in the vineyard, the master still says, I'm here to hire you. You have value and you have worth and you have purpose. Please come into my vineyard. Something I heard many years ago, but I was reminded of this week. When Jesus calls us to him, he does not call us to sit and stay. He calls us to get up and follow, to follow his mission, to follow him, to to walk with him, to follow him to his vineyard and, and to serve. And no matter where you are 
or where your friends are or your parents or your coworkers, your aunt, your uncle, whoever it may be, even if, if you find yourself or someone else in the 11th hour of life, God is still calling out and lovingly saying, get up and follow me. Walk with me and walk in relationship with me. Because the reality is this, when we look at the parable, all the workers, they're all in the same place. They are all in desperate need of life. As one author said, just because the last worker only worked an hour doesn't mean he needs less than a day's wage to survive. Each laborer has needs and is dependent upon someone else to help them meet that need. And that's what we see in this parable. And then we get to verse 8, right? If you have your text, it's kind of the the midway point, right, of this parable, if you will. And this is where this fairly tame and, and, and familiar parable really starts to get interesting. And the people listening, probably their ears perk up and they really begin to start taking notice. You see, the rabbis at the time, they'd been teaching a similar parable to this. And what they were teaching was uh, to try to build up the nation of Israel. And so when they told this very similar parable, their conclusion was those who were hired first, they would receive a greater reward than those who were hired last. And they were trying to say, hey, Israel, because of their long-standing faith and commitment to the Lord, they would have a greater inheritance, a greater reward than those Gentiles who were now God-fearing and seeking God. So Jesus takes a familiar parable, and at this point, he flips it upside down, doesn't he? He changes it up. Those who were hired in the 11th hour They were paid a denarius, a full day's wage. And this is just an amazing picture of the love and the grace that Jesus demonstrates. Jesus is showing us that while the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a gift to all of those who worked in his vineyard, regardless of when they came in. We see this demonstrated in the gospel. For instance, if you take the life of John the Baptist, okay? Think about what you know about John the Baptist for just a second. He was a guy that we could probably say pretty easily he was hired in the first hour, right? We know from the the story and the account of of his birth that he had the Holy Spirit even before he was born. John the Baptist was the guy who, who went out into the wilderness and was telling people about the coming Messiah. He was the guy that baptized Jesus. He was the guy that was, that was teaching and preaching the truth, and it got him in all kinds of trouble. In fact, it got him in so much trouble that he ended up in prison, and then as he spoke against sin, it got him beheaded. He was beheaded because of his faith and his belief and his trust in the Lord. And now, if we were to look at his life and we were to lay it out there like that, what would we conclude? I don't know about you, but I would conclude this dude is in heaven in glory right now. Amen? Right? Uh, That's what we could conclude because of his life. He was a first-hour guy. We also see in Scripture an 11th-hour guy. The, the person who was hired at 5 o'clock, and I might even say like 5.30, 5.45-ish, okay? You think about the thief on the cross, right? Kind of the last hour, last-ditch effort here. And yet he says to Jesus, and he simply and humbly asks, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And when he says that to Jesus, does Jesus say, oh, dude, you're too late, It is way too late for you. You should have thought of this many years ago. You should have thought of this when I was calling all my disciples. You should have been following me for at least the last year, if not the last two and a half or three, right? No, Jesus doesn't say that at all. He promises him the glory of heaven. The love and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus says that the thief 
that was there on the cross and John the Baptist are now sharing the same eternity. Now let that sink in for just a second. Because I don't know about you, but I really like the idea of the thief receiving eternity with heaven, right? In heaven, with, with Jesus, right? Because that gives me hope, and that gives a lot of you hope. No, I'm just kidding. No, so it gives us hope, right? It's the hope that we can share with people because we see it demonstrated. But at the same time, there are times that, that I think about John the Baptist, and I think about how he lived his life, and I think about all he did for the kingdom, and, and I have this thought in my head, shouldn't there be something better for him? Doesn't he deserve more? Didn't he earn more? And that's when I can identify very strongly with the laborers here who were hired in the first hour. In their minds, if those who worked one hour received a denarius, well, since I worked 12 hours, I deserve you know, 12 denarii, right? That, that just makes sense because I deserve what I have earned. But that's not at all what happened, is it? They received exactly what they were promised. And yet now... Now it doesn't seem fair. You see, I don't think they were upset because they received less than they were promised. They were upset because those who were hired last were rewarded the same as them. The work of one hour has now been made equal to those who'd worked all day. Their version of what was right and what was just and what was fair was a way of making sure they received what they had earned. But what they failed to remember is that were it not for the master calling them, they would have been left out. They would have been starving. They would have had nothing to show for their day. And so it doesn't matter if it's the first, the third, the sixth, the ninth, the 11th, the 11th, 30th hour. We are all completely dependent upon the grace and the generosity of the master. What shall we say then? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort or what we think we've earned or what we think we deserve, but on God's mercy. You see, this parable speaks to the grace that God gives all people to all of those who respond to his call. And, and this is the grace and the hope and the love and the forgiveness that we have the opportunity to share with people. It's the, the love and the grace and, and the hope and the forgiveness that, that we can offer to you here today. A call to get up and to follow him and to walk in relationship with our Savior, with our Lord, with Jesus. To begin right now, whether you're in the third, the sixth, the ninth, or the eleventh hour of your life, and do the best you can with what you have right where you are, trusting in, in his love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness, allowing him to strengthen you and to comfort you and to give you peace. Because it's not about what you do, it's about whose you are. It's about who you belong to. It's about your relationship with him. And this morning... We want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord, and we're going to do that in two ways, as we often do here at PCC. The first way is through communion. Uh, here in the auditorium, there are four tables uh, set up, four communion tables. And, and we're going to invite you uh, to make your way up one of these two side aisles to one of the trays 
uh, and to uh, take of communion. And, and as you take of the elements, you can return to your seats either down the center aisle or, or down the side aisle just to help us so people can, can do that very easily. And when you arrive at the table, you will find two different trays there. One that has bread in it, the other with juice. The bread represents Jesus' body, and, and we take it, and we celebrate, and we remember. The second contains juice, which represents his blood. And in the same way, we, we take it, and we celebrate, and we remember. We remember the love that Jesus has for us and his willingness to go to the cross for us so that we could experience his love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness each and every day of our life. And we want to invite you to do that, to celebrate and participate in communion. And remember all that he's done for us. The band's going to come and they're going to start playing. And as they do, uh, we're going to invite you to make your way to those stations. And if you're the first one at that station, we're going to invite you to do what Caitlin just did. To take, uh, take off the, the top so that people have access to that so that we can all come to his table. And you can take communion there. You can take it back to your seat. You can go to the cross. You can go anywhere you want to focus in on the Lord and his love for you. And what he's done for you and for us and for all of us. And as we participate in this communion, this common union, we are linked together with all those who've come before us and all those who will come after us and all of those who are here and around the world today celebrating what God has done for us. So I'm going to pray. And then as you're ready, you make your way to one of the tables. Let's celebrate what the Lord has done in communion today. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity to celebrate the fact that it doesn't matter when we were called, just that we were called to celebrate that that we can respond to your love and your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. And Father, you've made it so very easy for us. You showed us the extent of your love when you gave all that you had. And so Father, as we celebrate that right now, I pray that it would be honoring to you that we would remember that we would celebrate, that we would respond to you. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.